It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's a sports, sports rush, rush with Brett Ruff. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Mark, 11 yards, touchdown! Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's your host, Brett Rump. The greatest, most Ah, you want to move like Jagger on a day like today. Absolutely gorgeous. Ah, smells like spring has sprung. Enjoy it. I'm sure it's going to be back in the 20s before you know it. But a beautiful afternoon. It's the Sports Rush ready to take you home. And, man, do we have a packed show. Your daily local sports fix, including Zach Osterman from the Indy Star. Also, we'll talk girls high school basketball. Off to the regionals this week. And Eric Thornton, coach of the Norwell Lady Knights, who had a dramatic win in their own sectional last Saturday night. We were able to bring it to you here at 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. He'll join us coming up at 435 this hour. Also, hour number two, it'll be Kent Sterling from KentSterling.com. He'll jump on at about 520. It is a busy day because we also have Tuesday Time Capsule Trivia. Have you got that ready, Adam? You know it. Uh, what's my winning streak right now? I think I'm up to, what, like seven? Well, you won last week. I think maybe one. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I haven't... Haven't, you know, I did have a streak, though, at one point where I was at least 12 or 13, and I actually am not kidding about this one. I, I did have a streak where I had a nice run, but uh, it's been kind of back and forth of late. But we'll give you a chance to play some Tuesday Time Capsule Trivia coming up just after 5 o'clock. 46862 is the Parkview Sports Medicine text line, 46862. Uh, you know what? I'm going to start with this, and it's not like our biggest headline, but it's been on my conscience all day. That yesterday, somehow, I called E.J. Tackett, E.J. Hackett. Did you know that? Did you catch? I, I did not even catch myself. And we've had him on the show. I, I mean, I, I I feel horrible about it because I started calling him E.J. Hackett and stuck with E.J. Hackett. I'm like, that. I'm an idiot. And so I apologize that I screwed that up yesterday. And I don't even know how I did it. I'm like, did I have his name typed wrong? Did autocorrect get the best of me? I don't know. But it's E.J. Tackett who won the U.S. Open Bowling Championship. And so we will start with, uh, it's almost like the newspaper putting in, you know, the correction from the day before. I feel like we have to start the show with a correction. And tonight, Indiana looks to follow up the big win over the number one ranked Purdue Boilermakers, who, by the way, are still number one ranked. They've got Rutgers. Oh, boy. You know, this isn't a good one. It's not good to play Rutgers after Purdue because Rutgers is not quite to the level of Wisconsin, but it's one of those uh, those nemesises. <laughs> nemesises. Yeah, it's you know what it is. Nemesi. Yeah, it's plural nemesis. <laughs> it's nemesi. I don't know. But uh, Indiana's had some trouble with Rutgers. Trace Jackson Davis has never beaten Rutgers. 
It's been a long time since Indiana's been on the winning side against Rutgers. And it's like the worst possible time. Number one, you've got a short turnaround after the big emotional win on Saturday. For the Big Ten, three days is kind of a normal turnaround. Uh, obviously, Purdue uh, still has, what, another day or two before they play. When did they play? Thursday? Yeah, uh, yeah they play uh, Thursday night. Yep. So Purdue gets until Thursday to recover from the loss, while Indiana has to bounce back after the win. And, of course, you've heard me mention on this show that we've I, I talked to Maria Marcasano last week, and we saw it case in point with the Purdue-Fort Wayne women's basketball team. Big emotional win over Youngstown State, considered by some to be the best team in the Horizon League. And they get that victory on a Thursday night. They come back on Saturday afternoon, and they get... They get started in the game, and it's ten to nothing, Robert Morris. Before you even get your first bite of popcorn, I mean, it was, and so that's what Indiana's got to face: bouncing back from a win. Now we usually talk about bouncing back from a loss, but in this case, bouncing back from a win, especially an emotional win like it was against Purdue, could be even tougher. And we saw what the game before Purdue was like for Indiana when they went on the road and lost to Maryland. But can they get enough of a boost playing Rutgers in Bloomington to get over the hump and defeat the Scarlet Knights? Uh, it's a complete ball team in uh, Rutgers. You know, Rutgers sitting right now second place in the Big Ten. So, you know, this is uh, th- and this is a chance, too, for Indiana to tie for second place in the Big Ten standings with basically everybody in the league except Purdue. I mean, have you looked at the Big Ten standings? I'm going to pull them up. I did yesterday, yeah. I'm, I'm going to pull them up because uh, it's gotten ridiculous. And yeah, it's, I, uh, I, I can't believe I was working on a sneeze like for the last two minutes and it finally <laughs> hit me. Um, great radio. I can't help it. I'm sorry. Sometimes that happens live radio. But um, no, if you look at the Big Ten standings, you've got Purdue, of course, sitting all alone at the top of the Big Ten with 11 and 2 mark. Then you've got, now here's the seven and five teams, Iowa, Maryland, Northwestern, IU, Michigan, Illinois. That's, that's <laughs> stop it. me when you're, yeah, stop me when you're tired. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't even know how many, is that six? Six teams or seven, six? Yeah, it's six. Six teams that are seven and five. And you could actually add a five-loss team in Rutgers if Indiana beats them tonight. So you would have seven teams with five conference losses. That's ridiculous. Now, did any of those teams, I didn't check to see. Um, no, see, and none of those teams play each other. There's three games tonight, and none of those uh, involve head-to-head matchups of the five-loss teams. Michigan State's hosting Maryland, what happened to Minnesota and Illinois that it's postponed? COVID. For who? Minnesota. Really? Yeah. I did not hear that. Minnesota, Illinois postponed tonight. Um, and then you've got uh, Maryland. Boy, that's going to make it tough on those on Illinois especially, who's one of those teams that's in that pack. But, uh, yeah, so this is huge. Indiana's a four-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm surprised by the number. You going to jump on it? Uh, I should, shouldn't I? Put a little something on Rutgers. I should, shouldn't I? You should. 
of course, taking it from you, I don't know if that's the best betting, <laughs> betting consultant we've got. <laughs> I don't gamble. <laughs> maybe, you know, Mr. Vegas, if he's listening, maybe he can help us on this. But that looks like that that looks like one of those lines that's inviting you to take Rutgers. Four and a half, Indiana, a favorite tonight over Rutgers, with Indiana following up that win over Purdue. Now, you wonder if when Indiana beats Purdue, if there's a lot of dumb public out there that automatically thinks, oh, well, Indiana's really good. I'm going to bet Indiana. And, and Rutgers, historically, has been a bad program. So anybody that hasn't followed the Big Ten or doesn't know these two teams, I could see where money would would lean to Indiana's side, which would, would push the line that way. But four and a half? I guess that's what... Uh Beating a number one team does to your line, I guess. Hmm. Go ahead, Adam. Show's yours for a couple of minutes. I'm going to be on my app. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> 46862, Parkview Sports Medicine text line. What do you think uh, from the Indiana Hoosiers tonight? Now, also, what do you think about this whole Colts coaching search? You know, it, apparently the Colts have narrowed the list, but have they? Or has the list been narrowed for them because a couple of their candidates have eventually branched off and gone and taken other jobs? It seems like no one has been told they're not in the running anymore, right? I mean, we're not hearing anything from agents, from the coaches themselves. I mean, look at this list and we're to the third round of interviews. How does it not get narrowed down? My theory is they're filming a Bachelor-style reality TV show. Is he <laughs> handing out roses? Is that what he's doing and only one gets eliminated each week? Exactly. And they're filming it now and it's coming oh, to streaming. They're, and <laughs> they're blue roses, Colts blue, and he's passing them out at the interview ceremony each week. Rich Bisaccia, Shane Steichen, Brian Callahan, Raheem Morris, Wink Martindale, Aaron Glenn, Jeff Saturday. We believe... And, and there may be others that we don't even know. But, I mean, right there, you've got seven that are still in, apparently, three rounds into interviews. What is the point of interviews if you can't narrow it to your top two or three candidates by round three? And and, and it's not like these guys are going back to other jobs. Or, I mean, nobody's talking. I mean, it's, it's really awkward because we believe... Rich Bisaccia, the special teams coordinator, where's he at right now? Is he at Green Bay? Uh, he was, of course, the Raiders interim coach after the situation with John Gruden. And I thought he did a good job with the Raiders, but I don't know if he's the right guy to take on a new quarterback. Yeah, you're right. He is the uh, special teams coordinator for the Packers. And like an associate head coach or something. I think he's got some fancy title there. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got Shane Steichen, who's involved in the Super Bowl. So nothing can happen with Steichen until after the Super Bowl is over. Brian Callahan, who seemed to be a pretty hot name, but if they were going to hire Callahan, wouldn't they have him in for the fourth interview and, and try to get something finalized? And then you've got Raheem Morris, uh, Wink Martindale, Aaron Glenn, and Jeff Saturday. Now I look at this list and I think, okay, Morris and Glenn and Martindale, uh, defensive coaches, right? All three of them. Basaccia, he is a special teams guy. And that, that narrows the list really to two names. Well, three if you want to count Jeff Saturday as an offensive guy. Although no experience as an offensive coordinator. 
But it gives you Shane Steichen and Brian Callahan. And the process could be delayed because Steichen is involved with the Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl. But uh, yesterday's report was that that it's starting to look like it's a lean away from Jeff Saturday, which I think is probably good news for Colts fans. Uh, There was a report, too, that four candidates in this group want Gus Bradley as defensive coordinator. Now, if I went through the group, I could probably tell you the four that 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 would be. And they've told Gus Bradley he can't interview with anyone else. Okay, so that makes me think that the Colts are somewhat confident or do believe that the, the four are strong candidates to be the next head coach. Rich Bisaccia, I could understand him wanting to retain Gus Bradley. Not a defensive coach, probably wants to, to have his own guy. Shane Steichen and Brian Callahan, because at this point, this late in the game, I don't think you're going to find someone better to take over your defense than an experienced head coach who would obviously help both of them who would be taking on their first head coaching jobs. And so I would say Bisaccia, Steichen, Callahan, and Jeff Saturday would be the four, primarily the offensive guys, uh, that would probably want Gus Bradley as their defensive coordinator. And so it makes me think maybe they're like a leg up on the rest. 46862, Parkview Sports Medicine text line. By the way, huge upset last night in Horizon League basketball. Yeah, you and I both watched that. I don't know how you ended up on it, but it was I was watching pretty much the whole game and I and I was commenting with a friend back and forth that uh yeah, this isn't going to happen. Green Bay's not good enough to beat Milwaukee. They'll play with them for a while. They're hitting some shots that's making it look better than it really is. And Green Bay ends up hitting 16 of 42 threes. And they end up winning it in overtime against first place Milwaukee, knocking Milwaukee out of first place. And it leaves Youngstown State all alone at the top of the Horizon League. And the Mastodons welcome first place Youngstown State into the Coliseum coming up this Friday. Yeah, I mean, it was just a really cool game last night. I mean, they had a jump, Green Bay hit a jumper to send it to OT. And then in OT, uh, there was a game winning jumper again there for uh, Davin Ziegler, I believe, for yes. Green Bay. Man, that was uh, quite the uh, pull up. Just yeah. put for, it in. For a, team, for a team that's only gotten one Horizon League win so far this year, and there's and Ziegler is so lucky you had some competent officials because. After he hit the bucket, he went over to the front row of the crowd and started taunting some of the fans. Did I saw you see that. that? Yeah, he was flexing oh, his muscles. Oh, could you imagine with seven-tenths of a second left, a one-point lead if he'd have gotten teed up? Oh, man. And they'd have lost the game. It, it, But it was one of those moments where you're like, no, no, you're about to knock off <laughs> Milwaukee. Do not do something please dumb. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's check headlines. Today's top headlines with Adam Lundy. Let's do it. Well, Pacers rookie teammates Benedict Matherin and Andrew Nemhard will remain teammates when they play in the Rising Stars game during the NBA's All-Star Weekend. Both were drafted by Pau Gasol to his team and will join Paolo Bancaro, Scotty Barnes, Jaden Ivey, Jose Alvarado, and Keegan Murray on Pau Gasol's team. team. Yeah, I think he had a good draft. They're the uh, favorites, I would say. The Niners are hiring Steve Wilkes, who was most recently the interim head coach of the Carolina Panthers, as their next defensive coordinator. This comes one week after Niners defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryans departed to become the Houston Texans head coach. 
And more than 50 million American adults are expected to bet on the national championship game between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs. The national championship. We, it's like we've reverted back to college. According to the American can't Gambling say, Association. Can't say. <laughs> what it really is, it's the game Sunday. The biggest news is that's an increase of 61% from last year of people gambling. Well, more access. There you go. A lot of legalization going on around the country. That is today's top headlines with Adam Lundy. We'll be talking some high school girls basketball in about 10 minutes. Eric Thornton, the coach of the Norwell Lady Knights, will join us to talk about their dramatic win in the sectionals and what's ahead in the regionals. Right now, we welcome to the Masters Heating and Cooling Hotline from the Indy Star. It is Zach Osterman, of course, covering the Indiana Hoosiers. What a win for Indiana on Saturday. Now tonight, the challenge to follow it up against a team they have struggled with over the last few seasons, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Zach, a couple of things about this Purdue game. First of all, I thought Indiana did a couple of things really well. First, I thought they needed to have a good start because they had to keep that crowd involved as much as possible. By having a good start, the crowd was energized. They were into the game. Second, I knew Purdue would make a run at them. You just expected it was going to happen, and the question was, could Indiana build the wall to keep Purdue from taking over the game and taking a lead? I thought I thought Indiana passed those two tests on Saturday. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, listen, you know, sometimes we can, reporters can be guilty of, of finding correlation where maybe there is none. But I, I thought back to the North Carolina game earlier this season, and obviously I think Purdue has turned out to be much better than North Carolina. But I remember even as well as Indiana played that night, um, there was so much hype and so much build-up to that game. And Indiana really didn't start well, and it felt in that moment like Indiana was maybe playing the occasion more than the game. Indiana wanted the energy a little bit too much. It, it, it was trying too hard to kind of force things. Um, again, you know, these are just two games, so maybe we're, maybe I'm drawing conclusions where you know, there are none or where there are none, where there shouldn't be any, but it, it felt like Indiana handled this game much more sort of in stride in terms of, as you said, being ready to start well and, uh, you know, weather kind of whatever Purdue was trying to do, but in the same breath, not, not making more out of it than they needed to, making it more difficult on themselves than they needed to. And I think that really kind of bled into, frankly, the entire first half. And, and I think you're right, too. If you're Indiana, you had to expect Purdue was going to punch back the number one team in the country is not just going to get run out of the gym. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think it's, it's telling for this team, again, if we are looking for maybe points of growth, um, you know, last nine and a half minutes, that game was never more than a two-possession game, but Purdue never tied it. And so every time, you know, Purdue kind of got it tied again last nine, ten minutes, but every time Purdue threatened, Indiana found an answer, and I think that was very much to Indiana's credit. The formula isn't going to work another game against Purdue, is it? You can't withstand 33-18 and 18 from Zach Eady and beat Purdue twice. I mean, it's, it's an interesting question in the sense that, that the flip side to sort of that argument is how much more could Eady really do? Um, you know, and, and obviously, it's, it's, of course, it's going to be different at Mackey. And, you know, I think we can both agree we, we would not make Indiana a favorite at Mackey right now by any means. But the flip side is if you're Indiana, you kind of look at it and you say, you know, 
we took Indiana's or we took Edie's best punch, more or less. I mean, again, how much more realistically can he do than thirty-three and eighteen? And Indiana still won the game. And it's also, I mean, it's interesting. And again, these—I I don't know if these these sorts of observations will prove to be anything relevant in time or not. But if you look at some of Indiana's wins recently, um, Terrence Shannon had twenty-six for Illinois uh, back in January. Uh, Bryce Sinsabaugh had 23 for Ohio State. Jamison Battle had 20 for Minnesota. Zach Eady had 33 and 18, as you said, for Purdue. And Indiana won every one of those games. And obviously they weren't all created equal. Indiana played a lot better in some of them than in others. And those opponents aren't created equal either. Obviously Purdue is a lot better than Minnesota, for example. But it is just kind of interesting to me that Indiana has at times in some of these games, almost found a way to just sort of limit everyone else and almost isolate a team's best player within a game plan so that, okay, Terrence Shannon may get 26 points, but he needed eight, you know, he shot eight of 18 from the floor to do it. And in the meantime, he didn't get anybody else involved. His point didn't get his, his team moving in a more positive direction through that game. Again, maybe that's the trend. Maybe it's not. I think it's something worth watching over the last eight games of the regular season because we're going to see Hunter Dickinson twice. We're going to see Indiana play Purdue again, play Illinois again, and so on. Um, But it is interesting to me just that Indiana seems to be able to kind of, again, almost sort of isolate those really good players within the wider offense of their team. And even if those players ultimately put up good numbers, it doesn't affect the outcome the way that you would normally think if you said Terrence Shannon scores 26 for Illinois in a home game against Indiana, you would expect probably Illinois wins that game instead of losing by 15. I think this is an interesting game because for the second time in a row, we're going to be focused on the inside play and the low post because I think Rutgers has maybe even a more difficult matchup for Trace Jackson Davis when, uh, when Jackson Davis is on the offensive end because you have – kind of equal quickness and length, which Trace Jackson Davis tried to use his quickness against the bigger Zach Eady. But tonight, it's not going to be that same kind of advantage. And I think I think that will be telling what happens uh, with uh, Rutgers, Indiana, down around the basket. I think that the word that I'd say a lot to use there is length. You know, if, if you look back at that Rutgers game in December, and obviously – Indiana was a different team then, and all that kind of goes without saying. But, um, you know, Cliff Amore was actually in foul trouble for a lot of that game. And if I'm remembering correctly, he eventually fouled out. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet Rutgers still was kind of the first team to really build sort of this trapping, lopsided, almost kind of, I mean, I think it was basically a zone defense um, to stop Indiana that I think we've seen some other teams try to mimic. And it hasn't always worked. You know, I think I think Minnesota, even if Trace Jackson Davis had 18 and 20 in that game, Minnesota had some success with it. I think Ohio State tried it and absolutely didn't have any success with it. Um, you know, it, it, you've, you've got to have the personnel. You've got to be committed to it. Obviously, the venue's always going to help. The rack's a tough place to play. Probably going to be easier to do it for Rutgers at home than at Assembly Hall, et cetera. Um, but then if you think about, you know, other teams that maybe caused Trace Jackson Davis some trouble – Arizona could throw lengths at him. You know, we looked at that Kansas matchup, and K.J. Adams is one of the few, you know, sort of five men on the schedule that is noticeably shorter than Trace Jackson Davis, and yet Kansas did well in that game, in part because Kansas could just sort of flood those double teams and those tight spaces around the block with lengths. 
and really kind of get in Jackson Davis's way there. I think it's also worth pointing out, and maybe this has a bearing tonight, maybe it doesn't, it is worth pointing out Jackson Davis was, is a lot healthier now than he was when this game, when the first, uh, the first game between these two took place back in December. He was still fighting both the thumb injury and the back injury. Um, but I, I do think it's going to be interesting to see how maybe Rutgers has adjusted to seeing Trace Jackson Davis play a lot better in the last month, month and a half and how Trace Jackson Davis and Indiana have adjusted, because Rutgers was kind of the first team to do this, to, 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 to just sort of like almost slant their whole defense toward Jackson Davis. And it wasn't just Omori. Again, it was the fact that they got they have, they have a lot of quickness in their team defense, and they've got a lot of length. And so when those doubles come, they can come fast. That you know, You've got guys that can maybe dig on the double, but then get closed out on their shooter if the kickout comes a lot quicker than the average defender. And their length clogs up more passing lanes than again that the average the average team might. I think. I mean, listen, Rutgers is the number two team in the country per Ken Palm in defensive efficiency. They're not there. They're there for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really, really good. And tonight is going to be a test of, I think, maybe how Jackson Davis has adjusted to a certain style against them. Number of factors that I think go against Indiana in this Rutgers game. Number one, it's a fairly short turnaround on Big Ten standards. There are plenty of other teams that are going to get an extra day or two from their weekend game uh, before they have to come back and play. Number two, they take on a really good team after after playing the number one team in the country. But the one advantage Indiana has is they are at home. They don't have to travel, and they'll get the benefit of the energy of the crowd. Is that enough to avoid an Indiana hangover? Possibly. Um, you know, it, it's also worth saying Rutgers played Saturday at Madison Square Garden in what I think was a pretty um, a pretty challenging game for them. I think they were down double digits and came back to beat Michigan State. So, on the one hand, you got two teams riding high. On the other hand, as you said, it's, it's a short turnaround for both, and the last win was probably pretty physically taxing for both um, and emotionally taxing for both. I do think that just in general, Indiana. I mean, this you know, there's an extent to which this goes without saying. You know, if you want to be a good team, you have to win your home games, but. I do think Indiana, you know, specifically in the spot it's in now, you got four home games left, four road games left. Your road games are at Michigan, at Northwestern, at Michigan State, at Purdue. There's, there's not a, I mean, you know, I don't know how many gimmies, gimmies there are in the Big Ten that really help you in NCAA tournament seeding at this point in the season. But, you know, I can give you a compelling reason why each of those games is going to be difficult for Indiana, um, not least the fact that Indiana for a team like a Northwestern or a Michigan or a Michigan State is a scalp now, is, is a genuine high-quality win to pick up even at home. Um, there is an extent to which I think if you're Indiana, you're, you're sort of base camp for these last eight games, these last, you know, like I guess what is it, like four weeks, five weeks, four and a half weeks, however you want to see it in the season, just needs to be winning out at home. You know, beat Rutgers, beat Illinois, beat Michigan, beat Iowa. That alone gets you a winning record in conference play. That's probably you know, roughly two and two in terms of two quad one wins, two quad two wins. And then anything you pick up on the road is a big bonus. But I think that, that really, you know, a lot of people have brought up, and I, I don't think completely unreasonably so, you know, last season, Indiana beat Purdue at home. It was a hugely emotional moment. There was a big release. There was a lot of sort of understandable celebration of that after a long losing streak. It felt symbolic of sort of Mike Woodson pulling the program up to a certain level again. And then Indiana came out three days later and just laid an absolute egg against Michigan. Earlier this season, Indiana made a really big deal out of that North Carolina game at home. Again, maybe we know now North Carolina is not quite as good, but at the time that was 
you know, that was top billing in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. It was Indiana-North Carolina. It was a game that was hyped up all summer long, all fall. Indiana wanted that badly and then almost immediately said, hey, we're, we're turning our attention to Rutgers. You know, we're, we, this, this doesn't mean anything if we can't go put on a good show at Rutgers. And then they went to Rutgers and really struggled. There's also maybe an extent to which we've talked about ways this team has grown, ways this team, this program, maybe to some extent continue, need to continue to grow. Finding the consistency, particularly at home, of just sort of churning out Big Ten wins, churning out quality wins at this time of year is what takes a program like Indiana, which was out of the NCAA tournament for so long, got back in it last year, up to the next level, which is, hey, this kind of consistent winning is a habit. And we're tough to beat at home. We use our crowd. We use our energy. We use our home court advantage. And then that consistency starts to bleed over onto the road, and you start to see them pick up more results. I just think, Indiana, it, it is really simplistic. But listen, it's a formula Indiana has not been able to follow consistently in the last five, six years. How often did we talk about Archie Miller's record after top 25 wins and how poor it was? You know, this, one of the next steps for this team, this, this program, is just, don't just beat number one in the country. Come back and get another quad one win three days later at home when your crowd is still amped up and mm-hmm. it's not easy and you have to play a little bit of a different style, but you don't let that drag you down. You don't let that slow you down. Zach, always appreciate you. We're out of, t- <clears throat> excuse me, we're out of time. And so uh, I got to let you go, but we'll look for your coverage with Indy Star and the Indiana Hoosiers. Appreciate you. We'll talk to you again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, as always. Yep, that is Zach Osterman joining us on the Masters Heating and Cooling Hotline. Eric Thornton, coach of the Norwell Lady Knights, joins us next. This is the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan at 100.9 FM. This is Mike Nutter, team president of the Fort Wayne Tin Caps, and you're listening to the Sports Rush with Brett Rump on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Welcome back to the Sports Rush. Mike Nutter will be joining us. He and Coach Kaufman among our guests at Christopher James Menswear as we take the show on the road tomorrow from 4 to 6. We invite you to stop out and see us. If you do, you'll have a chance to win some prizes, sign up for some prizes. Uh, We'll be out there tomorrow afternoon with the Sports Rush. Right now, we're looking ahead to the big regionals coming up this Saturday. And it's, it's a different format. One game, you get a championship. And that game for Norwell will be against Hamilton Heights. And to talk about it, we welcome the Norwell Lady Knights head coach, Eric Thornton, to the program on the Masters Heating and Cooling Hotline. Coach, congrats on another sectional championship. Hey, thanks a lot, Brett. Uh, you know, I I saw the final play, and I've got to ask, uh, was there a moment that you thought uh, it was ending when that on that putback at the end? Uh, there wasn't just one moment. There were <laughs> multiple moments. That... Uh, uh, that was uh, the emotions that uh, I experienced personally through that time was uh, total relief, um, to be honest with you. It, it sure seemed like uh, that we had maybe used up our chances there, and you just ca- kind of kept thinking we probably uh, could have won it right there. Um, so a little bit of a sick feeling, um, but fortunately our kids kept battling, and uh, you know it, it turned out well for us. Quite a game and quite a challenge when you get two programs, both well-coached, good good girls basketball programs, and uh, your team survives it. What makes this team able to withstand those kind of moments and find ways to win? 21-3 and three on the year, obviously 
you you've been challenged and you know how to win those challenges yeah i I think the great thing about this team was just how resilient they are um very driven group very competitive but the best thing about them was how they uh recovered from losses you know our first loss was uh was a huge loss uh point spread wise at homestead we didn't have kennedy filling our leading score um, which uh, which we didn't handle very well, um, and I thought we played very immature that game. But I think our kid, kids really grew a lot from that, um, as hard as it was, and we were able to kind of turn the page pretty quickly. Same thing with a great team like Columbia City, um, another great team in Carroll. You know, our, our schedule, um, fortunately, is difficult. Uh, our losses were to all 4A teams, and I think our kids just came out the other side of those games better from it. Coach, I know uh, one thing that's made you successful year after year over your 26 seasons is that you adapt the style of play to your personnel. And there's been plenty of years at Norwell where you've worked around a post player. And this team, what is the identity? You seem to be a little bit more of a higher scoring team than some of the Norwell teams in the past. What's the identity? Do you play at a different pace? Do you play with a certain style? We do. Uh, you know, we really want to, on offense, uh, play off of our defense. I know uh, uh, probably just about every coach would say that. Uh, but we've been more of a half-court trapping team this year on makes and misses. Um, our goal was to try to give ourselves an advantage um, that teams would not prepare for every single day. Um, you know, we're not big at all. Uh, we're not super long, uh, but our kids fight. And we've learned how to play um, our, our half-court trap um, better than we've had in the past. We've been more aggressive with it. And I think what that's led to, Brett, is more points off of live turnovers. That was our goal going into it. We thought we could do it um, against the best teams on our schedule. We haven't been as effective, but I'm not sure, uh, no matter what we would have done, uh, that we would have necessarily have uh, won those games playing a different style. So for us, we just thought uh, to make uh, the deepest run we could Let's try to uh, give ourselves an advantage. Um, and, and we've really developed into a pretty good team of covering things and taking teams out of their offense. Of course, you'll get a challenge from Hamilton Heights. You can kind of uh, wipe out the record because they play a very difficult schedule. 19-5 and five coming up uh, this Saturday. The 3A is uh, close to town at Belmont, the 3A regional, a little different format. But first, let's talk about the opponent and when you put together kind of a scout for, for a team that maybe you're not quite as familiar with, do you try to find comparisons with teams you've played earlier this season to relate it to your team, to your girls? Yeah, we, we certainly do that, but I think what helps us maybe even more than that is to try to find teams on Hamilton Heights' schedule that play similar the way we do and then see how Hamilton Heights would try to attack that mm. um, from an offensive standpoint. You know, they're... They're so good. They're so well coached by uh, Coach Cherry. Um, they are very much a ball control team on offense where they want to uh, limit the possessions. We want to try to speed them up, uh, which is normal for us. Uh, but we've tried to look at film. Uh, we've got a lot of good film. Uh, it doesn't guarantee anything, but it does help us learn as much as we can and how Hamilton Heights might try to attack um, that, that type of defense that we play. A one-game format for a regional championship, that is something new with the IHSAA this year. Does it change anything going into a regional, knowing one game and you move on to semi-state? 
Yeah, it's a different feel because, you know, you're, you're still going into that. There's four teams there, but it's almost like that other game is not really a part of what you're there for at all. Um, it, it's going to take some getting used to, I'll be honest with you. Um, you know, in the past, the regional format was the toughest stage. You had to prepare for three teams, you know, not knowing if you won who you might play in that second game in the evening. Um, it was a lot of work going into that first game. Um, and you really had to focus on that first team as much as possible in order to get there. Now it's, uh, we know who we're playing. Um, you know, uh, we would love to have to worry about preparing for three teams at the state level, but for right now, it's, it's kind of nice, um, to be able to prepare for Hamilton Heights and just pour everything into that. I think postseason, a lot of times it's so important to have quality leadership within your locker room. What about your team and the leadership that it has? You know, um, we're all underclassmen. We have no seniors on our team, um, but our juniors have really stepped up this year. I, you know, it, it, our leadership comes from uh, several kids. Uh, Lily Norris is uh, not a high scorer, but she is our vocal leader. Um, and and uh, when she knows that uh, things need to be picked up in practice, she handles that. Annabelle Johnson, our point guard, again, another role player who's an awesome leader, um, so gritty. And I really think Kennedy Filling has grown into a leader a uh, little bit uh, from from just, um, you know, the level of play that she's risen to this year, uh, taking a huge step, um, one that I didn't fully anticipate, um, but she has really stepped up and played her best games in big games. Eric Thornton, he's the coach of the Norwell Lady Knights, and they will take on Hamilton Heights coming up this Saturday at the Belmont Regional. Coach, always appreciate a chance to visit, and best of luck coming up this Saturday. It was great talking with you, Brett. I appreciate it. Yep, that is uh, Eric Thornton joining us on the Masters Heating and Cooling Hotline. If you notice, when I asked the leadership question, I didn't ask about the senior leadership because I uh, I knew from uh, the game the other night that they do not have a senior on their roster. That's very impressive. Uh, and uh, But, boy, what a program. He just churns out teams like this year in year out and he's done it with uh you know miss basketball at, at the post he's done it with uh you know four great guards i mean it's just always a different type of team but eric thornton finds a system that fits with the personnel and it's what's made him a great girls basketball coach 26 years strong at norwell We'll take a break. We're going to come back. We've got plenty more on this Tuesday edition of the Sports Rush, including just after 5 o'clock, we're going to give you a chance to win with our Tuesday Time Capsule Trivia. Don't go anywhere. This is the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. So coming up on the show, we'll talk to Kent Sterling from KentSterling.com about Indiana basketball tonight against Rutgers. You can listen to the game on our sister station, Big 92.3. Also... We've got the Mastodon's Coaches Show tonight, and it's a special show live from the Holiday Inn, Purdue-Fort Wayne, right across the Memorial Coliseum. 2,000-point scorer Jarrett Godfrey will lead off the show. We'll also have men's basketball coach John Kaufman, women's basketball coach Maria Marcasano, and men's volleyball coach Rock Parrott all joining us. We invite you to come out and be part of the live show at the Holiday Inn, Purdue-Fort Wayne, across from the Coliseum. Jump into the Mastodon Grill most people, I don't think most people even realize there's a restaurant in there where you can have dinner or you can order to take it home. Uh, there's a nice little bar area. So come on out. Join us for the show right uh, after we get done here on the Sports Rush from 6 to 7. 
We'll be airing it live at 1380thefan.com. Uh, or 1380thefan and 100.9 FM. Yeah, there we not, go. Yeah, yeah I got it. Not the website. Uh, all right, so Lids put out a graphic showing the top-selling NFL jersey in each state. Did you happen to see this? I did not. Good, because I'm going to throw a few at you. Uh, and th- there's a few that fascinate me, like the number one selling jersey in Massachusetts. Tom Brady? Mac Jones. Oh, wow. Okay. The I number guess, one, you know, different era now. In Connecticut, the number one selling jersey. Mac Jones? Mac Jones. All right. Uh, Rhode Island, the number one selling jersey. Mac Jones? Is Tom Brady. Oh, <laughs> Rhode Island, you haven't gotten Rhode with the times. Island, yeah, it's like, how many years behind? Is that a, a Brady Patriots jersey, <laughs> or is that a Brady Buccaneers? Buccaneers I mean, what, what, are we, what are we what are we what wearing? What are we doing in Rhode Island, yeah. <laughs> uh, not not, uh, not got TV in Rhode Island yet? They, anyway, um, but here's, here's a couple of the fascinating things. Like in Alabama, okay, now I, I would have thought... They don't have a professional team in the state, but you would think it'd probably be somebody that was part of the Alabama Crimson Tide, maybe even with the success this year, possibly Jalen Hurts, right? Maybe. Dak Prescott. Ooh, a divisional opponent for a rival. Dak Prescott's the number one selling jersey in Alabama. Now, here's the other thing. In Indiana... Peyton Manning, <laughs> Justin Fields. What? All those, all those. That tells you how bad the Colts are right now. It's all those it, people on the west side of Indiana don't even have a jersey that people are proud enough to go out and buy. I mean, I guess Peyton Manning because that was the last one I would want to wear. Yeah, I, it's like <laughs> you're Rhode Island, uh, but uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I'm fascinated. In fact, here's the other one that's fascinating: Wisconsin. Surely one would guess Aaron Rodgers, right? You would think. It would be, you know, somebody with the Green Bay Packers, probably Aaron Rodgers, Justin Fields. <laughs> They're buying Bears jerseys in Wisconsin. Yeah, it must be all the people just uh, just north of the city there in Chicago. Well, we assume that, but does that does that make up for the entire state of Wisconsin? Well, Green Bay's not that big. They, they, no, they still have humanity <laughs> north of the suburbs. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, Milwaukee... You know, that would be the biggest metropolis, and it's probably about halfway between Chicago and Green Bay. But yeah. uh, but it looks funny to look at the state of Wisconsin uh-huh. being a Chicago Bears jersey or the state of uh, Alabama being a Dak Prescott jersey. Man. Um, let's see. Just taking a look. Can some you give the- me uh, Florida? I want to know who Florida is rooting for here. Florida? Who do you think? I would go with Tua. Florida. Florida. Tim, Tim Tebow? Florida. <laughs> oh, You're worse than Rhode Island. <laughs> it's Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Tampa I was going to say it's, it's Tua or Tom. Tom Brady. Now, I wonder, though, how close Trevor Lawrence was. Mm, yeah, I didn't even think I about Trevor. Think a there lot of go. Trevor Lawrence jerseys, but that would be in the north part of the state. Well, Jacksonville is the biggest city in Florida. No. Yes. No. Yes. Jacksonville is no way bigger than Miami. It's bigger. Metropolitan area, Miami's got to have it whooped. You're telling me Jacksonville is the biggest city with with a, a state that has Orlando, Tampa, 
Miami. So yeah, uh, metropolitan area Miami's bigger. Okay. But the actual city limits. See, Jacksonville is all of north northeast Florida. I yeah, mean, Jacksonville is eight hundred seventy five square miles. And what's Miami? Since we're now giving us, we're just data, having a Google party. We're here. just having data that's meaningless. But we're but now you've got me interested. Fifty-five. Oh, fifty-five square miles yes. for Miami. Yes. Versus eight hundred and some. Yeah, a little oh, more, little well, more spread out there. Little, yeah, a little more room. Yeah. Thank you very much, Adam. <laughs> Thanks for your input into today's show. Coming up next, we give you a chance to win with Tuesday Time Capsule trivia and more. Ken Sterling on the way in our next hour. This is the Sports Rush on thirteen eighty The Fan and one hundred point nine FM.